If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. We want to announce that we have our final three shows of the year on the books. August 12th in Orlando, Florida, September 6th in Nashville, Tennessee, and winding it up. Right here in Atlanta, September 9th. They're going to be great. Just great. Great, great, great. So if you want to come see the Stuff You Should Know greatness, the last of it for the year, you can by going to stuffyoushouldknow.com and checking out our tour page or going to linktree slash SYSK. Either way, you'll get links to tickets and all the info you need. We'll see you starting in August. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here, too, and this is Stuff You Should Know. Um, part two of a one-two punch of insect goodness. Yeah, caterpillars, uh, hopefully you just listened to. Uh, if you didn't, you might want to, because it really, you know, without caterpillar, there is no butterfly episode. Yeah, I feel like they could stand on their own. Like, I don't think oh, you sure. have to have listened to one to understand what we're going to talk about here. No, 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 but... You know, we're probably going to say when it comes time to talk about how the caterpillar turns into a butterfly, uh-huh. just go back in time to two days ago and listen to that one. Right. We'll be like, doo-doo-doo, doo-doo-doo, doo-doo. <laughs> uh, and once again, we have to thank uh, HowStuffWorks.com and our former and current colleague, Tracy Wilson, uh, as well as our former colleague, not current, uh, Jennifer Horton, mm-hmm. uh, wrote a, a fun piece about butterfly gardens that we're going to talk about at the end. But I forgot about Jennifer. You remember her? Oh, yeah. She was great. She wrote lots of great stuff. She's a good person. So, Jennifer, I don't know if you're out there and listen, but hi. <laughs> hi. It's been a while. Yeah. Since like 2008 or nine or I something know. It's crazy. It's been a long right? while. Well, so we're talking about butterflies, and we should probably kind of pick up not where we left off because we talked, I think, about caterpillars being pests at the end or considered mm. pests, but they're not really. Yeah. We should pick up um, after... The, the uh, caterpillar emerges from its chrysalis mm-hmm. because we're talking specifically about butterflies. So it's the chrysalis, not a cocoon that it metamorphosizes within. Mm-hmm. And once it emerges, uh, it is a, a beautiful creature that resembles the caterpillar that it was almost not at all. But it's the mm-hmm. same exact creature. It's got the same mind. It can remember smells and all that. But whereas the caterpillar was built for eating... I think we said it in the last episode, too. The butterfly is built for sex, sex, sex. (laughs) Yeah, they're built for reproducing. Uh, (laughs) um, 
should we talk uh, – I mean, should we go back in time just a little bit and talk about um, the fact that – like the distinction between moths and butterflies and stuff like that? Sure. <laughs> well, what's the deal? Wasn't it uh, – aren't moths and butterflies basically mostly the same except moths are uh, – they, they do their sex at night and butterflies do their sex in the day? Yeah. I mean, there's – there's not many distinctions between them other than, like, the obvious ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the biggest one. And the reason why butterflies are diurnal and moths are nocturnal is because all butterflies, I think, what is there, like 15,000, 20,000 species of butterflies? There's a lot of them, yeah. All of them are descended from moths. And these were just moths that started to do their thing in the daytime rather than the nighttime. And over time... They evolved to fit in in the daytime rather mm-hmm. than the nighttime, which is how moths evolved. So a moth's camouflage is meant to, to blend in with like a tree where it's sleeping during the day. Yeah. Whereas a butterfly is bright colored because it's out in the daytime and it needs to blend in with the big colorful um, flowers that it, it likes to hang out on. Do you know why I meant to look this up and didn't? Why then a moth is so attracted to light? Um, I saw that they think that it is attracted to the moon for navigation. Oh, okay. And that butterflies aren't attracted to light because they don't navigate by the moon. They lost that ability or that need. Well, butterflies navigate by the sun. That's one of the one of my amazing facts about butterflies. Yeah, but then that's weird that they don't fly to light, but they, they are not attracted to flames or light bulbs. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe they know sun is death. Yeah, whereas the moon is nice and cool. <laughs> Should we talk about their their bodies a little bit? Because that's where we like to start off usually with our insect uh, casts. One more thing. Let's talk about where the word butterfly came from, eh? Where did it come from? Oh. Well, it's very old English, and it means butter and fly, right? Mm -hmm. No real mystery there. Yeah. But the reason they think, there's two reasons why they are named butterflies in the old English. And they think it's either because some of them are a pale yellow in color, so they resemble butter. We can pretty much discard that one. The other one is that there was a folk belief that they stole butter, that they were just kind of some sort of um, supernatural spirit in a butterfly form to come Mm -hmm. and steal your milk and your butter. And there's um, evidence of that in other nearby languages. I think the Germans call butterflies milk thieves. Hmm, Like a butter fairy almost. Yes. And then the Dutch and the Germans have a word for butterfly that means butter witch. So that's probably why butterflies are called that, because they used to think that they stole butter. Well, you know who it was the whole time. It was Grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) Doing his his night night eating. Yeah. He could get one cc of blood through those arteries. They were so Uh clogged. He was was on Ambien. Uh, Does it it say when um, the name morphed uh, for my wife into Flutterfly? Uh, They actually used to think, or some, like, it's it's a pretty strange... um, idea that they're called butterflies rather than flutterbys because that makes more sense. <laughs> so Emily's kind of taking it in a much smarter direction. But That's interesting. She probably just doesn't know that the fact that they're actually witches in disguise who are out to steal butter and milk. Yeah, she's always she, she still calls them flutterflies just That's for fun. Pretty cute. Does she call spaghetti paschetti? No, no, just flutterflies. <laughs> uh, can we talk about their, their, their bodies now? Yes, yes. Thank you for indulging me. I feel so indulged. Sure. Um, so, like we mentioned, uh, the head, the thorax, and the abdomen of the butterfly um, will look a lot like a caterpillar in some ways if you hold them up next to each other. Mm-hmm. And, and that's about it. Um, 
uh, for one, a butterfly can see a lot better than a caterpillar can. Um, I get the idea that it still doesn't have like, you know, like great vision. Um, but caterpillars, remember, uh, were essentially blind. Right. Um, butterflies at least have these compound eyes and they can detect color. And I think we said the caterpillar could only see in black and white. Uh, they can detect movement as well. Right. Uh, but when it comes to like the star of the show, as far as butterfly parts go, it's those antennae. Well, hold on. Before we move on, I've got one about the eyes, too. You okay. know the monarch butterfly, like basically the quintessential butterfly? Sure. They have 12,000 eyes, both compound and simple, and they go basically all the way around their head. That's a lot of eyes. They can see into your soul. <laughs> and that's why they, uh, that's, maybe that's why they're so great at migrating uh, every year in such large numbers. Possibly. I think we talked about in our animal migration episode, we talked about monarch butterfly migration. And I think we said one of the reasons why they're able to make it from eastern Canada all the way down to northwest Mexico um, is because they are they navigate using UV. They see in the UV. Yeah, it's that it's that sun. Um, and that's kind of brings me back around to antennae. Oh, good. Uh, these things are amazing. They uh, they get their sense of direction from the position of the sun. Mm -hmm. So they are literally navigating by the position of the sun. Uh, it, the antennae also act as light receptors. Nice. Uh, obviously, to track the sun. They're oh. highly attuned to odors. Uh, those antennae are great smellers. Um, they sense pheromones uh, during times of mating. Mm -hmm. And they can even sense, these antennae, the beat of wings of butterflies of the same species during wow. mating season. That's amazing. Just the antennae. Just the antennae. Wow. Uh, how about the labial palps? Well, <laughs> yeah, those are, if you if you look at a close-up of a butterfly, and they can take kind of different uh, positions, but usually I've seen them, they look like kind of little hairy tusks mm -hmm. coming out. Coming out of what, Chuck? Coming out of their, their head. Well, near the mouth parts. Yep, ding, ding. <laughs> okay. It's now officially a Tracy Wilson article. That's right. So um, they apparently are like, this is food, this isn't food, this is food. Um, but they don't eat with the labial palps. It's just a way of sensing food. Um, what they eat with is their proboscis. And that's the um, long kind of tongue-like appendage that they suck nectar with. That's right. I got one more thing on the labial palps, though. Oh, okay. They, uh, they've kind of surmised that it detects food, that the function was is fairly unknown. But uh, I think they've learned, I'm not sure how recently, that they can those labial palps detect uh, CO2 in the air. Oh, neat. So as they, well, and they think that might be the main function. Oh, that's really cool. Who knows? So instead of seeing red or green, they have the labial palps that detect I guess. CO2. <laughs> that was a reference to a reality episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what part did you move to? I moved on to their proboscis. Oh, everyone loves a good proboscis mm -hmm. in the... The uh, the butterfly proboscis is interesting because when the butterfly comes out, and we'll talk about this more in a second, it's almost like it should have a, a label that says some assembly required <laughs> yeah, because real. they got to do some stuff before they can really do their butterfly thing. And one of those things is literally almost like screwing together their proboscis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have two parts of their proboscis that they have to connect in order to start eating. So that's one of the first things that they do when they eclose from their chrysalis. Eclose, that's a great name. No, it sounds word. like Apple has trademarked uh -huh. it or something. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and we'll talk more about the proboscis as we go, but um, we do need to mention their legs. Uh, if you remember, the caterpillars have six real legs and then a bunch of pro legs. Uh, the butterfly says, I don't need those pro legs anymore because I'm flying, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've still got those six legs. I've got a set of uh, four legs, some middle legs, and some hind legs. And these things are pretty, they're more than just legs as well because they will land on something and um, they're looking for dissolving sugars, basically, mm-hmm. to eat. And they're looking for that with their legs. Yeah. And also, you'll probably see fairly commonly that there are some butterfly species that only have two pairs of legs, and that's not true. They actually have six, but one pair is basically shriveled almost to nothingness. Oh. And by the way, I should clear up. When I say their legs are looking for dissolving sugars, they're not doing it by feel. Like, they, they are taste organs in their in their feet. Yeah, they can taste through all sorts of different organs. It's pretty cool. And they... um. Apparently, when they they step in like some dissolving sugar, their proboscis uncoils involuntarily, like yeah. boyoyoing, <laughs> and it just starts sipping nectar immediately. Oh man! So you better hope that your um, your legs are finely attuned to sugar, and you don't accidentally suck up some really gross stuff. Yeah, you know, like oh, it was pus. Right. Oh my god. Oh, the worst word. <laughs> it's the worst. It's pretty bad. It's and it's not one of as the worst as, uh, things too. Hygienic utensil, though. Like, what? Are, what are the odds that one of the grossest things has the grossest word? I don't know. I wonder if that was intentional. Yeah. Like, what is that? Ugh, pus. Right. Does that sound gross enough? Sure. Let's go with it. <laughs> Can we please stop talking about pus? Sure, Webster. Um, the <laughs> wings we're going to talk about a lot. We did a whole episode on uh, the iridescence of butterfly wings. So mm-hmm. we're, we're not going to really get into it here, but if you want to learn about iridescence, it's very complex and complicated and deserved its own episode many years ago. Yeah, but the upshot is the structure of the scales. They're transparent, multi-layered, and they reflect and amplify light multiple times. It's, it, that was a really cool episode, if I remember correctly. It was, and it was a tough one, uh, if I remember, to like absorb. Yes, but we did such a great job of it. I would like to say we probably just knocked it out of the park, really. I think so, too. Uh, but the butterfly wings are made of uh, it's transparent. It's called chitin. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've heard of chitin, you're you're probably just alive on the earth because it is uh, one of the most abundant uh, polysaccharides in nature. It's, I think, the second most abundant. Uh, it's all over the place. Uh, it's ma- Their wings are made of that chitin, and they have those sort of uh, vein-like structures that you can, uh, if you look at their wings closely, um, don't touch them though, please. No. Uh, we talked about that in that episode. Uh, but they have those four wings um, that are obviously toward the front, and they are basically triangular, and then the hind wings toward the butt, and they kind of look like little seashells. Yes. And they're, like you said, don't touch them. They're very, very delicate. And those veins are species-specific, so that's one of the ways that they uh, use to recognize one another when they're mating as well. Yeah, and I think butterflies cannot repair their wings. Isn't no. that correct? Yes, they have no means of doing that. They have no car shield for wings. But I don't think it kills them, but if a butterfly can't fly, that's probably ultimately a death sentence, right? That's my guess. It, it would make them easy prey at the very least. Yeah, I think that's kind of the deal when they say a butterfly will die if you touch their wings. Yes. It will die quicker. Um, there's something that... a a butterfly that's recently e-closed and a baby that's just been born have in common. Do you know what it is? 
Mm, maybe, but go ahead. They both um, poop out in a meconium. Oh, sure. A human baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, meconium is that, that first poop uh, that they take. And in this case, the butterfly is pooping um, what it last ate as a caterpillar. That's so cool. It is really cool. It's usually red, bright red, almost looks like blood. But the butterfly poops that out. That's one of the first things it does. Um, it has to clean off all of its organs, its feet, to make sure mm-hmm. it's sugar-finding, not pus-finding. Clean off its antennas, put its proboscis together again. Yeah. Let its wings dry out. Oh, that's um, cool. I saw, and I don't think we mentioned in the Caterpillar episode, that in its last instar, it has wings already. They're just folded up under its skin. But oh, they okay. develop even further in the chrysalis. Mm-hmm. But um, when they they're when they come out, they're soaking wet because the butterfly was goo not too long ago. Yeah, and they have to spread them out and let them dry in the sun before they can fly. So they're doing all of this like self care, um, basically a, a morning at the spa right after they're born. Yeah, and but they can't just like flop their wings open immediately. They actually have to pump them up, uh, almost like an air pump inflating a, a raft or something, or some uh, high tops. Yeah, or some. <laughs> Oh, man, remember those? Mm-hmm. That's so funny. What a scam. <laughs> that was a scam, right? I'm quite sure you could break your ankle in that just as easily as any other shoe, sure. Yeah, it may give you like a little tighter fit or something. I don't know about that. Uh, and for people that are our younger, our younger listeners, if you don't know who Millie Vanilli was or <laughs> Pump Up Basketball Shoes, they were, I think, Reebok, right? Pretty sure it was Reebok had basketball shoes that on the tongue had a little basketball that was a little pump and you would put on your shoes, tie them up, and then press that pump a bunch of times and it would fill some cavities with air, I guess, and make your shoes tighter. Yeah, especially around your ankle. It was meant to give you (laughs) extra ankle support so you could donk easier even though you've never donked in your life. That's right. But they had Spud Web repping them, so. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think he he, uh, was one of their pitch guys for a little while. Okay. Cool. Uh, but anyway, the butterfly. Uh, wait, wait, should w- we explain who Spud Webb was? <laughs> he was a diminutive uh, NBA player. Yeah, for the and Hawks. I stood in line to get his autograph one time. Yeah. Nice. Uh, they pump their wings out, but not with air. There's a fluid that they pump through these uh, those tube-like veins we were talking about mm-hmm. and just sort of inflate them out. And like you said, they just get all cleaned up and ready to fly. Yes. And then once they're all ready... They start flying, and they realize very quickly, oh, it's not a very good day to fly. And I say we take a break and come back and explain just what in the holy heck I'm talking about. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. 
Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My name is Theo Henderson, host and creator of the podcast called William House. My lived experience in houselessness is extensive. I was one of over 75,000 experiencing houselessness on a given night in Los Angeles. Here's the simple truth. Houselessness is everywhere. It affects over half a billion people in the United States alone. Weezy and House will explore the senseless tragedy of displacement from the perspective of the unhoused. On my podcast, we're going to cover far more than my story. We're going to debunk the myths around houselessness. We're going to remember and humanize the community who have passed by spotlighting Houselessness Remembrance Day. More importantly, we're going to look at ways we criminalize the unhoused. Because if you can demonize them, you can criminalize them. Unlike the mainstream media's way of speaking over the unhoused, my podcast centers their voices in the conversation. Houselessness is not a monolith. Listen to Weedy and House on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. What in the holy heck are you talking about? Oh, well, let me explain, Chuck. It turns out that butterflies, while being pretty hardy individuals, at least as mm. far as insects are concerned on that level, they're also very delicate, like we talked about with their wings. And even beyond their wings, getting like a raindrop driving through it that can happen, mm. um, or yeah. say like strong wind tattering it, that's a mm-hmm. big problem for a butterfly. Um, just the temperature, the ambient temperature, has a tremendous effect on them. Not just because they're ectotherms, meaning they're like a lizard. They rely on the, the ambient temperature to warm themselves or cool themselves off. Um, their muscles just simply will not function when it drops below a certain temperature. Yeah, I think uh, Tracy points out they work best uh, when their internal temperature is about 82 Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. 28 Celsius. Uh, and, you know, they use these wings for flying, which is great. Um, but you might think, like, oh, it's no big deal if it's cold. They just kind of hunker down. But they also use these wings um, to do all kinds of, like, cool things, like, um, namely to scare away predators. They yeah. can do all sorts of, uh, like, they can make eyes where it looks like a scary face, mm-hmm. um, kind of like their little caterpillar former selves can look like snakes. Um, they can flash these bright colors that a lot of times say getaway predator. And if they can't move their uh, wings, it's not just that they can't fly, but they can't defend themselves or disguise themselves. So it means that when it's cold outside or when it's too windy or rainy or something, then they're way more vulnerable to prey. For, for sure. Or it's, as prey. Right. Yeah. But even prey could probably get them. That's how yeah. vulnerable they are. So. For sure. So um, you'll often see like butterflies is kind of basking in the sun. I've always wonder what they're doing like they just seem like they're they don't know what to do next that's how it's always right. struck me for some reason they're yeah. thinking of their next move but uh-huh. in in reality they're just sitting there getting warmed up by the sun so they can fly to another spot and if you stop and think about it the next time you see a, a butterfly basking in the sun um i'll bet it's below 80 degrees out and the oh, butterfly's okay. having to warm itself 
so it can fly on to the next flower to eat or rest or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, they do take shelter at night uh, mm-hmm. when it gets chilly. That's why you don't see butterflies flying around at night mainly. And like you said, they're uh, – what, what are daytime uh, dwellers called? D- uh, diurnal. Diurnal. Um, diurnal. Yeah. Day- diurnal? <laughs> is that how you remember it? Um, now it is. Okay. <laughs> well, you do remember it. That's how I need to remember it. Right. Uh, but, yeah, they bask those wings. They'll sit around on rocks. Uh, they, they shelter at night. Sometimes that they will actually do like a kind of like human shiver to warm up. They can kind of shake their butterfly wings to get their muscles warmed up to, mm-hmm. to fly. That's just, they just can't go out cold. They got to do a little warm up first. It's like that, um, that knee hike thing where you lift sure. your knees really, <laughs> really high, like in, in place a bunch of times. Yeah. That's like a, like that soccer players do. Yeah. Like that Ted Lasso guy. Right. And there's a name for that, but don't bother emailing us with it. We can figure it out ourselves. (laughs) Um, They also can use those wings as little reflectors. Like, you know how in the 1950s and 60s, people would sit out in the sun with those reflectors under their neck to reflect sun back on their faces. Mm -hmm. They can use their wings to do that to to their body and warm it up. Right, which is pretty cool. Um, they can also ref- they can also keep the sun from warming them up when it's too hot out. They'll fold their wings together and just present like the edge, the outer edge of their wings to the sun. So there's yeah. much less surface area. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and they, like you said, when you see them sitting, they're probably not sitting for long. They're probably sitting just so they can get it going to fly again. Very yeah, shortly. Exactly. So even though they're sitting there warming themselves up to move from flower to flower, even, mm-hmm. and that's typically what you see, um, there's a lot of species, I see at least 200, um, that migrate over very long distances. And monarchs are the ones that they're like the money, the money butterfly that everybody knows about. But one yeah. of the reasons why is because they migrate so far. Again, they migrate from eastern Canada to northwest Mexico. It takes eight months and not a single butterfly that starts that journey is alive at the end. So it's like you look at the butterfly. By the way, the butterfly flock or a group of butterflies is called the kaleidoscope. Mm, I love that. Also, that's the official one. They're also called flutter, shimmer, and rainbow of butterflies. Okay, a but, flutter of butterflies. Yep. But you look at the kaleidoscope of butterflies as like a single organism in each individual butterfly that lives and dies and reproduces, um, not necessarily in that order, as kind of like cells that function and make up the larger whole. But it's really a bunch of individual butterflies flying together, but migrating as a whole um, down from eastern Canada to to northwest Mexico. Yeah. And I guess since we're there, um, there was a a, a big deforestation, illegal deforestation logging operation in Mexico at the Butterfly Biosphere Reserve in 2015. And um, it, it they, they got like, I can't remember, like 30 or 40 acres of land uh, just cut down before anyone knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. And since then, and we can't get into it here because it's really complex, but they have this very involved plan that they've been enacting since then of reforestation, uh, including something called assisted migration. Uh, that I don't fully understand yet, but I'm going to look into it more. They just um, drive slowly by some butterflies right. <laughs> and swipe them into the car and drive them halfway. Well, th- things are better now, but there were a billion butterflies in that migration in 1996. 
And in, uh, I think, 2016, that was down to $35 million from a billion. Mm. Uh, and I think it's since gone up uh, due to these efforts. But um, That's good. Yeah. Th- you know, butterflies, uh, if you take down where they're uh, trying to get to, then they're going to die. Yeah, and um, that's that, that Biosphere Reserve uh, is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and you can go visit it. Uh, but apparently when the, the number of butterflies that show up are in the billions— the the branches that they're sitting on bend under oh, the wow. weight of butterflies. That's that how many crazy. butterflies there are sometimes. But Holy yes, cow. it's it's a very problematic that there's fewer and fewer. I'm glad to hear that it's kind of bounced back a little bit, but they're still um, under. I don't know if they're endangered or just critical right now. But there's mm-hmm. there there's something to keep an eye on as we'll see because they're an indicator species. They are, and they're also pollinators. Um, they're not, you know, the best pollinators, but right. they're pretty good. They're mm-hmm. not like bees. I mean, bees were made to pollinate. Mm-hmm. They wear T-shirts uh, that say that. They, they do. They wear bee shirts. Uh, but the um, some, butterfly, uh, some butterflies don't spread pollen at all. They just love that nectar. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, butterflies are looked at as pollinators. Um, and they have that proboscis, like you said, that's just it's made for, for diving deep into those flowers and getting all that sweet stuff. Um, but butterflies have lots of dietary needs. Uh, they can't just get by on that sweet, sweet sugar. Um, they need minerals and stuff, and they get this in a, a variety of interesting ways, right? Yeah, one is puddles. They'll just descend on a puddle that's um, bare dirt. Not, I don't think uh, asphalt would work, so yeah, it's kind of gross to think about. But the, the minerals from the dirt um, in the soil leach into the puddle, and the butterflies suck up those minerals through the puddle, and apparently, if there's not enough minerals for their liking, they'll actually flutter off real quick and then come back to the puddle, and just that little butterfly movement is enough disturbance of the water to bring some extra minerals to the surface of the puddle for them to drink and to create a hurricane uh, in Belize. Right. (laughs) Uh, If there's no water, this is pretty gross. If it gets pretty bad... They will resort to uh, puking onto the soil and then drinking that mineral puke. I took it more as spit. Hey, one man's spit, another man's puke. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, they uh, need the minerals, the nutrients, and it's not—it's just not enough for the nectar. Yeah, exactly. Um, they've done some studies though, because they'll—they'll eat fruit. They'll eat rotten fruit on the ground, mm-hmm. or they will get on a piece of fruit. They will stomp on it with their little feet oh, yeah? to try and tenderize it a little bit and then <laughs> jab it with that proboscis uh, and drink it up. And they've done studies that uh, have found that um, the fruit eaters live longer and are better at reproducing in studies uh, because they, I think it was the monarchs even, mm-hmm. um, they fed them either mashed banana or um, sugar. And the ones that ate the mashed banana laid um, almost two times as many eggs, and those eggs were were bigger and like more robust and vital as well. Yeah, I also read that they tend to uh, be easier going in social situations and are more well liked by their peers. The, the fruit eaters. Yeah. Oh wow. So um, there's a couple other places that they can get nutrients and minerals: dung and urine. Butterflies yeah. are not above that, um, especially if they need it really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, when they're e- getting it from a puddle, it's called puddling. Uh, there's just so many great words around butterflies. 
And there's a specific word for butterflies pollinating plants. It's called psychophily, like mm. psychophily, but with one L. Okay. Specifically butterflies pollinating plants is psychophily. I love that. I thought you would. I found that and I was like, Chuck's going to love this. <laughs> uh, the sexy stuff you mentioned, they, you know, butterflies love to, to try and reproduce. And they reproduce like a lot of animals. Um, they, they join themselves. They join end to end at the abdomen. Uh, I think the male has a, uh, like, he clasps, clasps down mm-hmm. on the female uh, to, to make sure they stay together. And um, <laughs> there is sperm from the male that is eventually going to fertilize the eggs of a female. But sure. not like you would think. Uh, it's pretty remarkable because what they do is they, well, first of all, they have to recognize each other. Uh, <laughs> like I said, using those antennae, uh, they recognize themselves as the same species or whatever. Hmm. And uh, through their pheromones as well, which is also the antennae. And then the male delivers a uh, spermatophore. So it's like, hey, I don't just have sperm for you. I've packaged it up in a in a little package for you. Mm-hmm. And it's got all these other minerals and nutrients that you love that will help you in this um, fertilization process. And they will take extra time to get an extra good uh, spermatophore package ready uh, to be an extra attractive mate. The, the good ones will. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> so so um, the, uh, the, the, I guess the female butterflies, when they fertilize their eggs, they use the last sperm that um, was inserted to them, the last spermatophore package. Yeah. So there are some species where the male will um, basically close up shop after he's inserted a spermatophore with kind of like a sticky substance that prevents more sperm from going in. So his sperm is the most recent sperm. Yeah, that's not very cool at all. But I guess that guy's also like, you know, what am I doing giving you my spermatophore if you're just going to use the latest spermatophore that you got? Exactly. I went to a lot of trouble combining the spermatophore. Yeah, like look at this stuff. Look at all these minerals. (laughs) Uh, I also saw that some of the males in some species will – spray them with an off-putting scent huh. so no other butterflies will want them. Uh, there are mating dances that they'll do. And uh, they, you know, when the female gets this uh, spermatophore, they put it in their bursa, mm-hmm. and then they wait until they're ready to lay their eggs. And they actually lay the eggs first and then use the sperm to fertilize them once they have laid the eggs, which is also, I think, pretty unusual in the insect kingdom, right? I, I don't know. For some reason, I had the impression that they were fertilizing each egg as they were coming out, kind of like a Pez dispenser. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, though. But they're not like they're not fertilized in the body. I see what you're saying. They're fertilized externally. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> um, one other thing you talked about terrible smells. I turned up that there some pheromones are pleasant smelling to humans, specifically. Oh, okay. Let me tell you about the green vein white butterfly. Let's hear it. It puts together lemon oil. For all intents and purposes, it has the same chemical composition as lemon oil, but it's the pheromone it produces to attract a mate. And I got to tell you, lemon oil is a pretty great smell. It would attract Mm. me too. I love it. So if you ever smell a a great veined white during mating season, you're going to smell some lemon oil. Uh, the gestation period's about three days, and they lay anywhere from 10 to 300 eggs uh, in clusters over a two- to four-week period. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. It's that long? Yeah, it can't. Yeah, two to four weeks. Wow. 
and the, these eggs, you know, they they lay that many because it's tough for these eggs to survive um, into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to be the temperature's got to be just right, humidity's got to be just right. Uh, they can rot very easily if it's too wet. Um, if it's not wet enough, they're going to dry out. And then, of course, there's all those predators that are just dying to eat those butterfly eggs. They need to find the Goldilocks zone with the humidity for the eggs. <laughs> That's right. They do. So um, they also make sure that they put the eggs on their baby's favorite food, which is a certain kind of plant. Mm-hmm. Um, their they're, Butterflies are very frequently indiscriminate pollinators. They just go from plant to plant. But there are also plenty of species that are very plant-specific, and those are the ones where they will um, not only eat that plant while they're, they're caterpillars, they were probably born on that same plant as well. We used to have a butterfly bush in our yard that mm-hmm. was, those things get really big and out of control. Yeah. Um, kind of in a, we have sort of a wild garden anyway. It's not like a, you know, super manicured, like English type garden. It's, it's kind of a crazy fun garden. Mm-hmm. So it fit in the garden and we had tons and tons of butterflies, but uh, it went away. And I don't know if it was because I think some people... Um, well, I think it could be an invasive species, and a lot of people say, like, it don't is. plant the butterfly bush. Right. But we had one for a while, but don't now, so Emily may have uh, taken it down for that reason. So the reason it's considered invasive and harmful to butterflies is it produces tons of nectar, but it has no value in um, in supporting eggs or the, the life cycle of it other than nectar for adults. And uh-huh. so it's a distraction from native plants that do provide not just nectar, but also shelter and a place to lay their eggs. So it actually disrupts the life cycle of local butterflies, even though it's a butterfly bush and they love it. It's actually bad for them. So I have to go cut down mine after this. Even if you have a lot of those natives nearby, like as a whole, it's still bad? Yes, because it's a distraction. Because it's so chock full of nectar that they go to that one instead and just die off. Well, some distractions are okay, right? Like television? (laughs) <laughs> sure. You could put a TV with an extension cord out in your butterfly garden. That's not okay. going to harm them. If <laughs> you have a butterfly bush, you have to chop it down. I command you. All right. Uh, they're really pretty, though, and it's fun to see all the butterflies. But, yeah, I, I, I get you. In the, but wait until you've planted other plants, which we'll talk about, and then you can chop down your butterfly bush. All right. Well, let's take a break, our second break. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what's going on with the butterfly population and butterfly gardens right after this. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
My name is Theo Henderson, host and creator of the podcast called We Young House. My lived experience in houselessness is extensive. I was one of over 75,000 experiencing houselessness on a given night in Los Angeles. Here's the simple truth. Houselessness is everywhere. It affects over half a billion people in the United States alone. We the Unhoused will explore the senseless tragedy of displacement from the perspective of the unhoused. On my podcast, we're going to cover far more than my story. We're going to debunk the myths around houselessness. We're going to remember and humanize the community who have passed by spotlighting Houselessness Remembrance Day. More importantly, we're going to look at ways we criminalize the unhoused. Because if you can demonize them, you can criminalize them. Unlike the mainstream media's way of speaking over the unhoused, my podcast centers their voices in the conversation. Houselessness is not a monolith. Listen to Weedian House on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the final months of World War II, the Nazis began using a rocket-powered bomb. It travelled faster than the speed of sound, which meant you couldn't hear it coming. And it was a cruel, spiteful weapon. Technologically, it was a miracle. But economically and militarily, the V-2 rocket was a total disaster. How did it come into existence? Why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? And what lessons can we glean from this catastrophic mega-project even today? Join me, Tim Harford, host of the Cautionary Tales podcast for my gripping mini-series on the Nazi V-2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Okay, well, we talked already about the monarchs and how they had been hit hard from the illegal logging going on in Mexico in the mid-2010s. Yeah. And... um, in general, butterflies are doing okay, but there are some, you know, pesticides and things like that. I think um, uh, one of the other big reasons besides the logging um, for that migration of the monarchs, I think um, pesticides has killed a lot of milkweed, uh-huh. which I think the monarchs love. Um, so pesticides are a big threat, and it's not like I'm just going to spray this one little part of my garden. Like pesticides in your garden, in one part of your garden generally means it's in most parts of your garden. Yeah, it travels very easily, but on top of that, butterflies are extremely sensitive to pesticides. So I don't know about herbicides, but definitely pesticides. So if you're going to plant a butterfly garden, you want to use natural pest defenses, but that's a big thing that's killing off butterflies and bees too. Yeah. And then also, we talked about it in the last episode, a lot of people think of caterpillars as pests. It's like, oh, you ate some of my lettuce. I'm going to kill all of you. Um, Yeah. That kills butterflies, too. They never make it to be adult butterflies, and you've disrupted generations of of butterflies that could have been. Um, So when you put all that together, humans have not been super good for butterflies. Uh, Did you mention urbanization and roads, too? No. Those are a problem. Like, anytime we build somewhere, we destroy plants, and those often are butterflies, or that's a butterfly habitat. And then the roads that we have... Um, the marginal land alongside of the roads are often like mm-hmm. great places for butterfly-centric um, plants to grow. But that means that the butterflies are very close to cars that are going 70, yeah. 80 miles an hour, which is never good for the butterfly when they come in contact with them. So, yeah, like I was saying, humans have been kind of bad for butterflies. But fortunately, 
we're starting to wake up and, and see the value in butterflies goes beyond like, let's put that thing on a stamp. Like there's, there's more value to the butterfly than just its aesthetic beauty, but that makes it plenty valuable in and of itself. I wonder if butterflies and other insects would ever, uh, if natural selection would be such that they would learn to fly higher than the height of an average car. Sure, I could see that. But then they run into semis and they're just like, it's going to take millions more years to get higher than a semi. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe they'll figure Uh, out how to fly under cars very quickly. Oh, okay. That'd be something to but sure. Yeah. Uh, collecting butterflies is, believe it or not, another thing that has hit the butterfly population. Mm-hmm. Um, butterfly, collecting butterflies is a thing. Uh, hunting butterflies and uh, putting them behind glass in your office uh, is a thing that some people are really into. And I don't know a lot about that, um, but I do know that um, that there are certain species that are endangered uh, and part of the problem is overcollecting. Yeah, and the more rare a butterfly species gets, the more desirable it is for collectors, and the more collecting harms that population because it's so small. It's an Ouroboros, but the worst kind. Yeah, and I imagine we'll hear from some collectors who who can tell us that there are responsible ways of doing this. I, I really don't know enough about it to speak to it, but I'm not going to collect butterflies. That's all I'm going to say. Um yeah, I wonder if it's one of those things like ivory where it's like, okay, this happened, this is done, like these things are are out there, um, and we're not just going to throw them away. That's an even bigger waste. Um, oh, right. Th- so th- like antique ivory or antique taxidermied butterflies are legal, but anything new is illegal. I wonder if it's treated like that or what, but I get the impression that butterflies don't have that much legal protection um, right. I think they do on paper, but it's very rarely enforced. Yeah. I guess if you find one in the ground or something, that's, uh, you know, that for your collection. Sure. Not sunning on a rock, but, you know, dead. Right, sure. <laughs> it just okay. fell over of old age. Uh-huh. Um, should we talk about butterfly gardens here at the end? Yeah, because one of the things people are doing are saying, like, hey, butterflies, we got to save these butterflies. If we don't, things are going to go pear-shaped even more. And so people are starting to plant butterfly gardens. Yeah, because I think you said they're a big indicator of, uh, like, if, if butterflies are dying off all around you, that's a big indicator of how your e- local ecosystem is doing yeah. in large part. They're the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, exactly. Um, and butterfly gardens are beautiful, and it doesn't take a lot. Uh, you need some some plants, uh, and you're going to want plants. You're going to want to find out what kind of butterflies you have around you. That's a big one. Uh, you can look with your eyeballs and then cross-reference, or you can just look it up on the Internet. Uh, and then you want to find out what kind of plants those butterflies love that are native to your area. Yeah. And plant those. Chuck, when I was researching this, all I wanted to do was be done with this episode so I can go garden. Oh, I love that. Emily's gardening. I, I'm looking at her right now. Man. She's gardening outside. Well, pound on your window and tell her I'm jealous <laughs> of her. We got – I uh, I put it on my Instagram. I don't know if you saw it, but you uh, – we – I – saw a huge, uh, well, it's not that big, but a hornet's nest mm-hmm. uh, in our backyard yesterday that is the coolest, most beautiful thing, um, kind of tucked in a magnolia branch uh, about only four feet off the ground. Wow. Uh, and I'm glad I saw it because I was about to go do some uh, trimming of my boxwoods right behind it mm-hmm. uh, in a few days. And it is, I would have bumped right into that thing. So oh boy. Uh, now we're just going to steer clear of it uh, until it is out of season 
and then hopefully try and preserve it. But uh, hornet's nests are so cool looking. Uh, and I just love that we have one back there. We got a crazy backyard full of all kinds of critters. Does it look like a mummy's head? Sometimes they it do. Looks, it looks like a uh, sort of a, a mummy's head, but uh, if it was an alien mummy, because it's Sweet. like top heavy and it looks like it has a little mouth at the bottom, you know, their little door. Yeah. Uh, I'll send you the picture. It's cool. Yeah. Or I can just go on Instagram like everybody else. No. You, you get text privies. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, what else about the butterfly garden? You need water, right? Yeah, remember, they like to drink minerals from puddles. So if you have a little bit of water dripping that forms a puddle in the soil, that's definitely going to help them. You want rocks for them to sun on. Yeah. A big one, Chuck, is you want to use native plants. I know you and Emily are, like, big into that. And I feel like people, including myself, are really waking up to just how bad for the local ecosystem, like, non-native plants are. Mm -hmm. And to use native plants whenever you can. When you're, when you're building a butterfly garden, it's crucial because even plants within the same species can be harmful to butterflies. Yeah. And I have an example, if you'll allow me. Sure. So butterflies in Florida and Georgia, in the southeast in general, I think, are very, mm -hmm. very keen on what's called butterfly weed. Uh, it's what monarchs love. It's that um, very tiny, multi-flowered, orange-flowered weed. Okay. It's a type of milkweed. Okay? Yeah. That's native. Which they love. Yes. There's another kind of milkweed called tropical milkweed that does just fine in Florida and Georgia and the southeast too, but it's not native. And the problem with putting that in your butterfly garden in the southeast is that it blooms so late into the season that butterflies will keep reproducing and entire parts of the population will freeze to death because they've gone beyond their natural reproductive window. And then furthermore, when the temperature drops a little bit, they're more susceptible to a specific kind of protozoan parasite uh, called OT or OE, I can't remember, um, that they wouldn't otherwise be if they were just on the, the native milkweed rather than the tropical milkweed. So, like, that's how much attention you really should be paying to your butterfly garden because you can yeah. inadvertently harm them while you're doing something you think is good for them, like putting a butterfly bush out there. Everybody right. would think, like, that's great. I'm going to put uh -huh. a butterfly bush out, and I can pretty much call myself Gandhi from here on out. Gandhi right. of the butterflies. <laughs> but it turns out you're harming them. So it's definitely something that you need to take some research for. But it's the kind of research that it's like an invitation to go, like, immerse yourself in the natural world in all of the best ways. Yeah. Boy, that butterfly weed is beautiful. Yes, it is. And it's native to Georgia, so you just plant it all you like. You know what? I'm going to go tell Emily, like, oh, there's butterfly milkweed. And she's going to be like, it's right behind you, dummy. <laughs> right. But it's not only a food source. It's a, it's like a place where monarchs lay their eggs. So you will have butterflies, like, living in your garden. I mean, they'll fly to Mexico eventually, but they'll hang out there right. for a while. Yeah. I mean, that's the cool thing about the butterfly garden, too. If you if you do it right, then you're, you're going to have butterflies in your yard. And not only that, but butterflies are going to, like— Word gets around, and it'll become a, a place for butterflies. Yes. It'll become like a haven for butterflies, and they don't they don't generally. I mean, the ones who migrate migrate, but other than that, you could have you could have butterflies families living their whole life back there in your backyard. Yeah, and speaking of backyards, I've got a backyard. A lower part of my backyard is kind of wild. I keep it wild, like I I don't mow it very mm -hmm. often, and there's lots of weeds and like little clovers and stuff growing. So I've, yeah. I've left it there for the beads, the birds and the bees and all that and the butterflies. But I'm going full on, man. 
I'm going oh, to yeah. let. Oh yes, it's going to be Just let it go. <laughs> all butterfly, like up to your hips, butterfly stuff. I cannot oh, nice. wait to go plant it. It's. I'm really looking forward to it because it's right. It, it goes right up to the edge of some woods too. So it's oh, yeah. going to be amazing. Yeah, there's something uh, we really love, like ma- leaving green spaces and making it an invitation for animals. You know, like I got my camp up there in North Georgia and like all of North Georgia is just being torn down for neighborhoods Mm. and uh, and or and, you know, if you're a hunter, that's fine. That's your thing. I'm not into it. And we love that we have this acreage where we're just like, tell your dear buddies this to come to our land, set up shop here. No one will be shooting you Mm -hmm. and uh, spread the word, everybody. We have we have a safe space for all you critters out here. Yes, except for humans, because it's also a most dangerous game type setup you got going there, huh? <laughs> well, sure. I, yeah. I on, suspect. on the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, let's see. One more thing about butterflies. There's an amazing fact that I think we can end on. How about that? Let's do it. Um, they're frequently cited as inspiring the discovery of the RH blood factor, which is a type of a subtype of blood types. And it actually cured what's known as rhesus hemolytic disease which is where a baby has a positive RH blood type and is born from a mother with a negative RH blood type and its immune system starts attacking its blood. Not good. But the discoverer of the RH blood factor, his name is Sir Cyril Clark, and he was big time into butterflies, and he was inspired by the butterfly's ability to mimic other butterflies uh, genetically. Um, that they had these what are called super genes, these big clusters of genes that all produce this mimicry and that were refined by smaller genes over time. And he was like, I wonder if that has to do with blood types and diseases. And in fact, it was. Oh, wow. Yeah, so butterflies, super useful, super beautiful. Go cut down your butterfly bush today. Amazing. Uh, Chuck said amazing, so that means it's time for listener mail, everybody. Uh, I'm going to call this um, our influence on Spotify, perhaps. Uh, hey, guys, I was wondering uh, wondering if you're aware of your potential impact on Spotify searches. On the Millie Vanilli episode, Josh mentioned the song Owner of a Lonely Heart by Yes being the best song of the 80s. And in my head, I'm like, I'm not sure what that song is. But I said it out loud and immediately the chorus popped into my head. Mm-hmm. So I go over to listen to it later on Spotify. I see a ton of covers for it. And I see Millie Vanilli is also in the search results, uh, which was going to be my next search. So I think you guys may have had enough people searching Owner of a Lonely Heart and Millie Vanilli close together so that the algorithm associated those two. That's awesome. Because other than the time period, it's not similar music, you know? No, I would say not. Uh, Maybe do a test and mention two unrelated songs or something to see what happens. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, should we try it? Yeah, let's mix Sabbath and you pick the other one. Okay, so Black Sabbath, name a song specifically. War Pigs. Okay, War Pigs. Hey, everybody, if you haven't heard War Pigs, you should go search it on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Give it a listen. It's a great song. And while you're at it, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard Barry Manilow's <gasps> Chuck, song. I was going to suggest Barry Manilow. <laughs> I had a, well, I had a 50-50 chance there. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the Barry Manilow song, uh, mm, Even Now. 
Mm. But it's a classic Barry Manilow song, and uh, everyone should just go search those two on Spotify. So War Pigs and Even Now <laughs> by Black Sabbath and Barry Manilow. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. That was a great uh, experiment. Who was that from? Th- that was uh, from uh, Corey, and uh, I just want to give Corey his due. Um, side note, saw you guys uh, for the Andre the Giant live in Chicago episode. Mm. Um, I also saw, uh, saw Josh's Into the World live in Chicago. Mm. Uh, when you tour that, your uh, your short series, it was so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, Josh walked by on his way in when we were outside and patted my friend Sam on the shoulder. And he's definitely mentioned that several times since then. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so that's from Corey, and uh, you patted Sam on the shoulder, and I think uh, that meant a lot to Sam. Yeah, thanks for coming to see me, Sam and Corey. It was a fun show, actually. Uh, let's see. If you want to... Let us know how this experiment pans out. Corey's experiment is what we're going to call it. Uh, Corey's choice. How about that? Love it. Um, no, let's call it uh, Cor- Corey's song rather than Brian's song. Oh, okay. Okay? Uh, yeah. No, Corey can wait. Uh, perfect. Okay. Um, so. Oh, no, but how about Corey's in charge? <laughs> okay. That's a good one. That's perfect. We're going to end on that. Uh, if you want to let us know how the Corey's in charge experiment goes, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 